Earlier this week, I gave a keynote in another session in an, an industry association. And the funniest thing ever happened in, in 12 years that I give talks about trust and, and culture, this was the first time that my talk was preceded by the association's legal counsel giving an overview of antitrust. So I'm starting a trust keynote with uh, preceded by 10 minutes on antitrust. And it was funny, but uh, it made me think. It made me think about trust versus antitrust. Uh, there is a reason why the word trust is in both of them. And one of the biggest questions, can you trust and should you trust a competitor? This is what this week's episode is about. Welcome to The Trust Show. I'm Yoram Solomon, your host, the author of The Book of Trust and facilitator of The Trust Habits Workshop. My mission is simple. I want to help you form habits that build your trustworthiness because the answer to this question will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? But before I can start talking about antitrust, I need to give you some background to antitrust. And antitrust uh, is kind of considered to have started uh, by uh, John D. Rockefeller, who uh, owned several oil companies. And in 1882, he created what's called the Standard Oil Trust. It was a trust of companies. It was competitors. They were all in the same uh, field, uh, the field of uh, oil, oil exploration and uh, refinement and, and anything to do with oil. And uh, those competitors got together to kind of control the market. Now, if, you're, if your attitude to business is purely limited to making profits, then that's a great idea. And it was also the first time that this was made, that, that, that this happened. But, but then you have to ask yourself, what's wrong with competitors getting together? When they get together, they control the market. They create a monopoly. And, and you've heard many times about uh, how the Federal Trade Association, which we'll get back to it, um, how it, um, uh, it breaks down companies that may own too big a share of a market and therefore have a de facto monopoly or, or a real monopoly. They can control the market. They can control prices. They fix the prices. Uh, so, for example, uh, nobody wants to have uh, the prices too low because if the prices are too low, then your profits are too low. So what they do is they get together and they fix the prices and they agree. And this is they kind of trust each other. That This is where trust comes in to agree that they will not lower the price below a certain level. Uh, we can argue that OPEC, the uh, organization in, in the Gulf, uh, Persian Gulf, that uh, uh, controls a big amount of the oil being shipped to the world, um, is doing just that when they decide how much they're going to uh, produce and, uh, and what would the, the prices be as, as a result of that. The consumers get screwed over that. 
Even labor, I mean, companies can get together to decide how to deal with labor. So this this is kind of the uh, the background to the uh, the actions that led to antitrust. So these were the trusts. It started with the 1882, the Standard Oil Trust, and then started the antitrust movement because pretty quickly consumers and therefore government realized that the consumers are getting screwed over that. And so they started the antitrust movement, um, and, and I need to make it clear, it, it's kind of confusing. I mean, we know that trust is a good thing, and so now I'm telling you that antitrust is actually a positive term. Antitrust is a positive term, but we're talking about a different kind of trust. We're, con- we're talking about competitors trusting each other to... Uh, manipulate to monopolize a market so antitrust is a good thing we're fighting that company trust or trust of companies and it really started with a um, a a supreme court case uh, of standard oil versus united states in 1908 Uh, in 1890 actually even before that case the first antitrust law that was created was the sherman act 1890, 1914, two major, two, the two other major legislation pieces uh, in antitrust uh, the, were in 1914. The first one was the Federal Trade Commission Act. That was the one that created the Federal Trade Commission or FTC. Uh, that is really the number one uh, U.S. League, uh, government entity dealing with antitrust and uh, the Clayton Act. So this is the background to antitrust, to the type of trust that led to the antitrust movement. So antitrust is a good thing. You don't want competitors to to, uh, do things that screw the consumers or the labor market or or any other uh, entity in that respect, simply because they have too much power and too much coordination. And that's antitrust. And this leads to the question, should competitors ever meet? Because when competitors meet and they exchange ideas or or things, that this is a potential act of uh, the the type of trust that antitrust uh, stands again, or or it's an anti-antitrust activity. Um, and, And it's really the question of what do they do when they meet? I was part of multiple... Uh, industry trade associations where competitors get together to create something. Uh, the Wi-Fi Alliance, I, I served on the board of the Wi-Fi Alliance, and we created the Wi-Fi technology that you know today. Bluetooth was a special interest group. USB is a special interest group. A lot of times, uh, competitors get together to create standards that would assure interoperability and will grow a market and really not do anything that harms the consumers. Those industry associations, they don't do bad, they do good. And so antitrust is not aimed at them. The the antitrust really is efforts to prevent companies from working together to control prices unfairly or to create a monopoly. So 
this is kind of when a single company or a group of companies that is the only supplier of something. This is the legal definition of antitrust. Uh, antitrust is not an effort to reduce trust in the world. No, it's not. It's it's anti a different type of trust. Uh, and it does not mean that competitors cannot trust each other. So that leads to the question, can competitors trust each other? Should they trust each other? You know, one of the things that that I'm always impressed with is uh, I have a friend in Israel. Her name is Amy Boney, and Amy Boney is one of uh, Israel's leading divorce attorneys. And she has a friend, and her friend's name is Ruth Dayan. And Ruth Dayan is one of Israel's leading divorce attorneys. And they're good friends, and they support each other. You know what? I, I support some of my competitors, the, the ones that, that I really get along with. And when one of them came out with a new book, I, I supported him. And, and when I came up with a new activity, he supported me. And sometimes we, we brainstorm with each other uh, ideas around trust, uh, the positive type of trust. And, um, you know, the, we kind of trust each other. And, and uh, Amy and Ruth trust each other as well. So, Competitors can trust each other. So what is the value of competitors trusting each other? And and if you think about that, think about your business, think about your industry. Even if you're a single person, uh, sole proprietor business, you have competitors. Should you trust them? What is the value of trusting them? Well, one is, and, and it really depends on how far is the market from reaching its potential. Now, the market can evolve, which means that there are more things that this market or the competitors that play in this market can achieve, which means that it's not near its potential. In some markets, you know, you're probably reaching your potential. Uh, and and when you reach when when the market reaches its potential, it really becomes a zero sum game. Competitors for competitors to gain uh, to increase their revenue, increase their profit, it has to happen at the expense of somebody else. You know, let's just assume that uh, that you can have no more than one computer in every house, and every house already has a computer. The market size is fixed and competitors have to fight over what is the next computer you're going to get when you're replacing your current computer and if the, or phone uh, for that matter. And when that is the, the, the state of the market or, or the level of maturity of the market, then you're really playing a zero-sum game. And competition tends to be very fierce and uh, it's, it's harder to think about situations where uh, competitors can benefit from trusting each other. I mean, there's. Uh, if I go back to the symmetry component, uh, the symmetry component is pretty problematic when when you talk about competition, because symmetry starts with you trust someone because you're on the same side of the wall, okay? And uh, if you're a competitor, you're typically on the other side of the wall. But if the market is not at maturity or far enough from maturity, then competitors can collaborate on growing this market. This is a win-win. This is not a zero-sum game. We're going to grow the size of the pie. We're going to let's say that um, 
And we did that when we were on the board of the Wi-Fi Alliance or, or the Wi-Fi organization where we advertised Wi-Fi. We advertised the value of Wi-Fi so that people, more people will buy Wi-Fi. We did not screw the consumers over by telling them that Wi-Fi is a good technology. We did not uh, set prices, uh, but we pooled our resources in marketing. Each one of the competitors probably doesn't have enough to put a an ad in, um, I, I don't know, in, in a national TV station. But you know what? When, when you pull those resources together, not naming, not singling out one competitor, not setting prices, uh, you can put a Super Bowl ad for Wi-Fi. So there is value in pooling those, those resources. Um, but again, you have to be very careful that when you talk about growing the pie, you're talking about growing the pie in terms of uh, more transactions rather than we're going to grow the pie in dollars by setting prices that nobody is willing to agree to sell under. That's the type of behavior that's, uh, that's addressed by antitrust. So be careful. Don't set prices. But working together, especially when the market is far enough from maturity to grow the pie by pooling resources, as one example, then you are trusting a competitor. You are working with the competitor and it does benefit both of you and the consumers. But what do I need to trust my competitors with? Well, if, if we're collaborating, if, if we're trusting each other, one is that they are going to be doing their best to grow the market, not just for them, but for me as well, positively, not, not in a way that will be fought by or, or violating antitrust um, behaviors or, or litigation uh, or laws. So I need to trust them with doing their best to grow the market positively, in a positive way, uh, to share knowledge you know we i do share knowledge with with a few other uh, of my competitors and and you got to be careful between sharing knowledge and stealing somebody's content or plagiarizing them and you know when often when i wrote the book of trust and other books i i cite a lot of sources i i'm very careful to meet the fair use uh, requirements. So, you know, I'm not bringing in their their key ideas or anything, but sometimes when somebody says something, I, I bring it in, I give them the, the appropriate uh, uh, citation, uh, reference, and, and so on. It gets a little trickier when you're talking about a competitor, because obviously their content is a lot more relevant to the nature of the competition itself. And, and one day I actually did use something from one of my competitors, but it wasn't enough for me to meet the requirements of fair use and uh, copyrights. But I actually reached out to him. I asked specifically if I can use that specific type of content. I explained exactly how I intend to use it, exactly how I'm going to attribute it, uh, attribute it to him. He gave me his permission. I kept his permission. So you can learn from a competitor. You can. You, you, this probably needs to be uh, symmetrical. You want to share information as much as you're getting information from them as they're sharing. But you have to be careful 
because there there is a higher probability of uh, misappropriating or or to the point of stealing somebody else's content. Uh, so you want to trust that they will share information with you. Uh, fair, in a fair way. I mean, not, I'm going to share information and now that you're exposed to that information, now you can't use it and you can't come up with it yourself because you're a share. This is a trap. So you you have to trust them that they're not going to trap you by exposing you to their uh, intellectual property uh, and, and then somehow prevent you from developing it yourself in parallel. Uh, you have to trust them not to steal your own content. Uh, you have to, tr- to trust them not to trash your name. Uh, that, you know, but w- when you want to work with them, you're going to have to be vulnerable and they're going to have to be vulnerable. So you're going to share a lot of things that uh, uh, y- you would not naturally share with, uh, with a competitor or it would not come natural to you. And, you know, if you share something bad that happened to you and they use it uh, behind your back, that's not, they don't meet the trust that you have in them. So if you want to trust a competitor, you have to trust them that it would allow you to be vulnerable without negative consequences to you through their behavior. Let's look at the uh, relative trustworthiness model and ask uh, what makes you trust them? Or what makes me, uh, gives me the ability to trust them. And and again, this model is uh, divided into two parts of components, three each. The who they are and the what they do. Let's start with the who they are. Competence. Uh, Are you trusting a competitor that you respect? You respect where they are in the industry. You respect the quality of their work. You respect the amount of research that went into what they do. Uh, You respect uh, where they are in the market, their successes, and so on. Uh, You're going to trust a competitor that you can respect. Personality compatibility. So this is interesting because it has nothing to do with what they do as a competitor and more what they do as a person. And even when you talk about a company, even a very large company, companies have personality and that personality comes through, uh, through their people. Uh, and specifically the people that might come to an industry association and interact with you. Uh, are they passionate about what you do? Uh, are they good people? Uh, do, do they lie? Do they, all of the type of things that would fit uh, within personality compatibility between two people would fit between two competitors. And it has less to do with their behavior as a competitor and more to do with their behavior as a person. Symmetry is the the third component of uh, who they are. And as I said before, symmetry is a little problematic because you are competitors. You're on opposite side of the wall. But again, if if the market still has enough room to grow, this is not a zero-sum market. If they behave in a zero-sum behavior, you obviously are not going to be able to trust them because they're on the other side of the wall. That's zero-sum. but if the market does have potential to grow and um, you're more into the win-win, then really you can, to some extent, see that you're on the same side of the wall where the common enemy who's on the other side of the wall uh, could be determined as uh, the market acceptance 
uh, the size of the market, different things that that would that that you both are sharing as issues on the other side. Again, be very very careful. The prices are too low. They might be a common enemy for both of you, but you can't do anything about that without violating antitrust laws. Um, so the this the fact that that there is something especially market size and i remember the earlier days of wi-fi the thing on the other side was the acceptance of even the the word the term wi-fi because we we really started uh and i don't want to give you too deep of a background to wi-fi but it started with the 1991 uh that later in uh, standard ieee uh, industry for electrical and electronics and uh electronics engineers uh 1991, they created a standard called 802.11. In 1999, they created 11A and 11B. So it was known as 802.11B. This is how people knew Wi-Fi in the early years. Uh, and, and this is, we're talking 99, 2000, 2001. And uh, when we formed that organization, it was formed under the name of WECA, Wireless Ethernet Compatibility Alliance. And then we came up with the name Wi-Fi, Wireless Fidelity, and, and we started developing a logo and a certification program. And those were critical for the success that Wi-Fi has today, which, by the way, I, I don't think that any of us back then uh, envisioned that level of success and market adoption. But our, our biggest enemy on the other side of that wall was the acceptance of the term Wi-Fi, of the technology, of the importance of compatibility across multiple competitors. So we cooperated in branding, uh, branding of Wi-Fi. We cooperated in market acceptance. Uh, we cooperated in developing an interoperability certification program. So, you know, when you look at the product that works with Wi-Fi, you will see the Wi-Fi certified logo. And we had to all competitors stand behind it in both developing the certification program, the interoperability certification program, along with the... Uh, uh, with the logo and the, uh, I'm, I'm not going to say enforcement, but uh, I'll call it market awareness of the importance of uh, that certification logo. So uh, that's that's part of symmetry when, when there are bigger issues, bigger fish to fry that both you and your competitors see and, and can collaborate. Again, be careful. No antitrust, uh, no, no uh, behaviors that violate antitrust. Uh, Another thing you look for uh, in terms of symmetry in your competitor is equal or fair contribution. So I say fair because I, I, when I remember some of the industry associations I was with, uh, there are times when I worked for a very large company such as Texas Instruments, uh, and there are times when I worked for tiny companies. And you have to ask yourself, um, how fair or how equal is the contribution that the different companies make to the association, to the industry organization. And uh, in some organizations, what we did was that uh, the, the fee level depended on the size of the company. Uh, obviously, the number of people that they would send to work in the different committees and, and develop things uh, varied between large companies and small companies. And the question is, do we get to a point, especially if, if you agree to that as an organization, where you feel that your competitors 
contribute equally or fairly. And, and the same applies, obviously, to whether they take things from the organization equally and fairly. Uh, and uh, another component is information sharing. You know, if, if one of the areas where uh, competitors cooperate is in sharing information, uh, sharing best practices and so on, uh, again, not prices, D- don't discuss prices, don't, don't agree on prices, that violates antitrust. But uh, information sharing, if, if you feel that you're sharing a lot of information, or in, in technology organizations, uh, often it's uh, contributing a lot of intellectual property in terms of uh, licenses to uh, use patents that your company has filed. If you feel that um, that information sharing, which is another type of contribution, is not equal, not symmetrical, then you're not going to trust them. I mean, especially if you're the one contributing more and they're contributing less. The other three components of what they do are are much simpler and they really uh, come across through the positivity when uh, you interact with with your competitors, the amount of time and intimacy that you spend with them. And and you know, it's amazing. I I remember in some of those organizations that I participated in, uh, when I first joined and saw some of our fiercest competitors, I mean, your initial reaction is to see them as the enemy. I mean, you're there with the enemy in the same event or or association or or conference. And over time, you know, especially, and and that's great when you do that, you you throw in social activities, whether it's a dinner that we do together or we go out for drinks or, or get on a sailboat or whatever we do, you start getting to know the people for who they are as people, you start to get to know them. And one of the things, and I actually wrote about that long, long, long time ago, is that you might actually find yourself in the Stockholm Stockholm syndrome uh, of, of the industry. And somebody actually gave it a name. He called it uh, S4, and that was many years ago, and it was the Systems Standards Stockholm Syndrome. So four S's. Uh, but but that's something that can happen. Uh, you you get so close to your competitors that at some point you forget that you represent your own uh, company. But uh, I'll put that aside that you, you don't want to make you don't want to get to the point where you really trust your competitors to the point where you you sacrifice your own company's interests. But the time, the intimacy, the positivity that uh, you spend a share during interactions with your competitors definitely has an impact, a, a positive, assuming that we have positivity, a positive impact on the trust that you have in them. Um, and by the way, some of the organizations, when they deliberate, they use, whether it's Robert Rules of Orders or anything, but but you can see some companies that actually would use the rules to uh, hurt their competitors. So, you know, you see that in things like filibusters uh, in, uh, in the government, in the legislative branches, state and, uh, um, and federal where really a filibuster is I'm going to use the rules to get my way rather than uh, let's really try and reach a compromise that works for everyone. 
I'm not going to judge this, but uh, it's just that uh, this is how I wanted to summarize. The more time you spend together, the more intimate face-to-face you spend with your competitor, uh, competitors, the more positive uh, or, or higher positivity they have uh, when you interact with them, the more you trust them and the more they trust you. I'm going to repeat some of the things that I said, but what happens when you trust a competitor? When you trust a competitor, uh, there's also somebody who's passionate about the the thing to me it's the research of trust and the research of uh, habit forming uh, uh, somebody who's passionate about it as much as i do it's somebody who understands me you know sometimes i have to say that that i find more common language with a competitor than i do with somebody who's from a different field or sometimes even with with members of my own family you know i can brainstorm with a competitor because they have the background sometimes we do mutual referrals and, and um, again, not setting prices, but uh, I bring somebody in to, uh, to a client. They may bring me in to, to one of their clients, especially uh, when, you know, some, somebody needs a keynote speaker or a workshop on trust on a date that I'm, only, that I'm already uh, booked. Uh, there's no doubt that I'm going to try and move it to another day. I, I do want to keep that business, but if I can't, I will think of a competitor that I trust and refer to them. And you know what? I know that they will do the same for me. Uh, We support each other by growing the market. This is what happens when you trust a competitor. What happens when you distrust a competitor? Uh, It's typically somebody who stabs you in the back. Hopefully you don't, but but you might be stabbing them in theirs. I I I have to admit that I, I can't think of a time when I said something negative about a competitor. Sometimes I don't have positive things to say about some, but but I don't say anything negative. And th- that's a general belief. I, I think that uh, a general trustworthy behavior is that when you don't say negative things about others. Um. When you don't trust them, you focus on taking customers from one another rather than growing the market. So you're going more for a zero sum game. I'm going to gain customers by finding who your customers are and steal them away from you. I'm going to steal business from you uh, instead of let's work together and uh, create more awareness so there are going to be more customers. The positive note of when you distrust a competitor and they distrust you is that there's no risk of uh, behaviors that violate antitrust laws. One final question is, how much can you trust a competitor? So the first thing is is uh, the second law of trust, that trust is contextual. So uh, the question is, uh, trusting a competitor with what? Uh, so it depends on what. It also depends on where we are uh, on this topic with uh, symmetry. And so, uh, you know, you're in an event, an industry event, industry association event with a competitor, and they rented a car. You did not rent a car. Do you trust them to drive me around? Yeah, it has nothing to do with the fact that they're a competitor. This, is, this does not put them on the other side of a wall. Uh, do you trust their selection or their recommendation of food or restaurant or something like that? Yeah. You trust them as a person. 
has nothing to do with them being a competitor. Can you trust their competitive recommendations? Well, uh, as as uh, President Reagan said, trust but but verify. So it's a good starting point. Should you trust that a hundred percent? Not necessarily. Almost doesn't matter unless you really are two competitors that are working under the same company, which means that you're not competitors. You're collaborators. You, you're you're employees of the same company. You're partners. Unless you are that, then at some point in time you are still competitors. Uh, you know that reminds me of the uh, the story of the scorpion and the frog. Uh, the frog was about to cross the river and the scorpion said, hey, frog, uh, can you carry me be, uh, on your back because I can't swim? Carry me to the other side. The frog says, but, but scorpion, you're, you're going uh, you're gonna to sting me and, and we're both going to die. And the scorpion said, no, no, it's in my best interest not to sting you so that you'll take me all the way to the other side. And the frog asked again, are you sure? Because if you sting me, we both die, not just me. And the scorpion says, no, no, I promise. And so the, the frog says, okay, fine, climb on my back. The scorpion climbs on the frog's back. The frog starts swimming to the other side. Halfway through, the scorpion stings the frog, gives him a lethal dose of, uh, of uh, poison. And the frog, surprised, looked at the scorpion and said, what did you do? You just killed both of us. Why did you sting me? And the scorpion looks back at the frog and he said, I couldn't help it. I'm a scorpion. So keep in mind that your competitor is still a competitor. And if I go back to what trust really is and why do we need trust in general, I need trust to overcome fear of a certain risk. What is that risk that I'm not going to be successful in the market, that I'm going to lose customers? So if, if I don't trust my competitor enough to feel safe that I'm not going to lose the market, then I, I really don't feel safe. I feel danger. Well, here's the thing. The competitor is still a competitor, just like a scorpion is still a scorpion. So... You can have a very good relationship that would make you feel less in danger, but still in danger. So you will still feel danger when you're uh, trusting a competitor. And that's a healthy feeling, just like it's healthy to feel fear when you're going out to war. But if you trust them, it's not going to be as much as if you don't. Three months before I left Israel and moved to uh, the U.S., first to California, I finished my law degree after four years. So I do have a law degree and I never planned on practicing law. And many friends asked me, so what was the value? And uh, I'm going to get some value out of my law degree by saying the following. What you heard in this episode was not legal advice on trust, on competition, on antitrust, or on anything. I'm not giving you legal advice. If you need legal advice, seek legal advice from a professional who's practicing in your area. This is not legal advice, and that was one of the values of getting a law degree. I hope this was helpful. 
What would you like to know about trust and trustworthiness? Let me know and I'll answer it in a future episode. I would love to hear from you. Email me at yoram at thetrustshow.com. If you like this episode, subscribe to the show so you will automatically get notified when I release a new episode. Rate it. Write a review for this podcast because those ratings help not only you, but also others looking for podcasts just like this. If you're looking for more resources to learn about how to build trust, be trusted, or know who to trust, look up my workshops, online courses, books, or go to my website, trusthabits.com. And remember that the answer to these two questions will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? And can you trust me? Thank you for listening or watching The Trust Show.